to listen to these unsolicited reviews for Amateur Nation. If I knew how to drive a car, I would listen to his podcast on the way to work. That's from Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. More factual and funnier than any of our news commentators. Hail China! That came from CNN. His podcast is so good when he buys from Prime, we actually get his stuff to him within two days sometimes. Hail China! Jeff Bezos. This review says, I'd like to kill Lou Santini. Kill them all! <laughs> Heil Hitler! Bill Gates. Here's one that says, he calls me the Keebler elf often on his show. I fact check that as a, right again, Dr. Tony Fauci Mengele. Uh, here's another review. Here's the thing. When you listen Listen to Amateur Nation. He has a way of, listen, podcasts weren't even a thing when I was a cowboy in Delaware. And ever since my wife, she told me, well, let's not forget, let's not get into that. Uh, anyway, President Joe Biden. Hey guys, what did I miss? Jeffrey Epstein. The honor and remember flag is a nationally recognized symbol that sends a message of appreciation for the sacrifice made by our fallen heroes and their families. The flag flies at many NASCAR races around the country, and you can help honor our nation's fallen military members and remember the eternal sacrifice of their service by flying the flag too. Text FLAG to 71777 or visit honorandremember.org to learn more. Together, we remember them all. Hi pros, Lou Santini here, host of Amateur Nation. My dry bar comedy special, Amateur Nation, is now available. And just like this show, if you're allergic to a lack of common sense in today's world, and you like your comedy delivered with uncompromising tell-it-like-it-is bite, then check out my half-hour comedy special, Amateur Nation. Go to drybarcomedy.com slash Lou S. This is my way of saying thank you to the pros who listen to this show every week. Drybarcomedy.com slash Lou S. Amateur Nation is not just a podcast, it's a movement. The following is a special presentation of Amateur Nation. Hey pros, welcome to episode 250, a special presentation of Amateur Nation. Earlier this year, in July of 2023, I had the honor of performing at Freedom Fest in Memphis, Tennessee, a four-day convention where like-minded people who are pro-America and all its rights in the Constitution met at the Renaissance Convention Center to talk about America's freedoms and the threats against them. I also served on the panel entitled, Let the Comedians Speak Freely, a discussion amongst comedians in a Q&A session from the audience regarding comedy censorship, woke audiences, and comedy in general. On the convention floor, amongst hundreds of vendors, broadcasters, and podcasters, was a familiar face from my time in Los Angeles, podcast host Bart Baggett, who is also a handwriting analysis expert. I had a great time with this interview on The Bart Show, the world's most interesting people. I'd like to share that interview with you now on this 250th episode. You could also see the full interview on YouTube on my channel, at Lou Santini. In this interview, we discuss stand-up comedy, comedy censorship, and the easily offended woke amateurs, my time performing with the late, great Bob Saget, my transition from my radio career to stand-up comedy, dating stand-up comedians, and did the host and I date the same woman? Performing the day after 9-11, my frustration with inanimate objects, my book, Dry Bar Comedy Special, and podcast, Amateur Nation, and I have my handwriting analyzed. Enjoy. <laughs> That's how I operate. 
you know what? It's it's a good plan. It still gets done. You are buff, dude. I'm getting there. You know, just I feel like the heart. It's like the, the older I get, the smarter my workouts are getting. But I'm working against Father Time. Oh man, he's you know a what bitch. I mean? He's an asshole. Yeah, it's like if I just would have had this knowledge when I was in my twenties. You know, um, I actually had a, I played lacrosse at Pepperdine. Hard sport. It's a great sport, and um, I never could keep muscle on. So I was like 155, and I was mean. Yeah. And so they're like, well, put in Baggett, you know, we're out, yeah. of, we're out of players. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't 100 pounds till ninth grade. Wow. But luckily I had the crooked teeth and the mullet going for me. So, you know, I was a threat to the ladies, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah just, uh, yeah, I was, I played soccer for 10 years, had a tryout with like a semi-pro team when I was younger. So I was always the fast, wiry guy. Wiry, because you weren't, you can't get too muscular in you soccer, can't, right? You, you can't really, like I said, but uh, it's funny how guys I would pick fights with on the field, I would never consider. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a referee Right, there. right. As soon as he's like, oh, my yeah. mom will tell on, you know, I'll that type of thing. So. Stare you down. Yeah, yeah. So you're a badass seventh grader. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's going to be the name of my next comedy album, Badass Seventh Grader. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing the show? How you doing? We just launched uh, about a week ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so we did a lot of uh, interviews at Freedom Fest. We got a lot of weird, interesting, odd people. Uh, we have a studio in Texas and now in LA. Right. And um, I've just been so delighted at the level of, of comedians that have come on. Yeah. The smart people. We had politicians. Good. So it's all over the page. I guess it's more like Joe Rogan. You know, at his level, he can interview anyone. Of course. It's interesting. Right. Um, but, but I'm not any particular agenda politically. So I have found that just my comedy friends are always safe. Sure. They're so much fun. Yeah. And everything's always X rated. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, they, and comedians <laughs> might have a few things to say. You don't have to like pull answers from them, really. I, you know, I, I always think, and I always thought this because I remember when I was, before I started doing stand up way back in 1990s, and I was in Texas, I didn't even know, like, oh, you can act. You know, to me, it was a far dream. Like, sure. I, I wonder, where, where'd you grow up? Uh, Northeast Ohio, Akron, Canton, Cleveland. Yeah, so no one says you can be right. a celebrity. No one says that's even on the menu. Right. And so I, I remember seeing albums of like Robin Williams, and I was like, like those guys are the smartest people in the world. Yeah. I feel like the the those individuals were the poets of the two thousands, where in eighteen sixty they actually wrote poetry. Yeah. I understand. And without maybe musicians write some poems once in a while, but but I've always found that the the com comedians are the cutting edge of culture, and that's what I aspired to be. Like maybe I could be that wise. Was that your Mount Rushmore, uh, Robin Williams, and who else was on yours? George Carlin. He was on my Mount Rushmore. Still, he's is. the only guy that I've ever had, um, I've ever met in person, and I oh. had nothing to say. Was oh, that right? Yeah, it was in a Starbucks. That, that would Santa be me Monica. if I met Steve Martin. I would, I would cry like Steve Martin's one. Of I those would cry two. like those teenage girls who saw the Beatles the first time. But if I met Steve Martin, I'm never at a loss for words, and I'm just sitting in Starbucks. And I'm like, I. I Hi. Also, it wasn't at a show. You were just out. No, in it was just, it's unexpected. Now I'm even more jealous. And, and no, but then he left and I just was like, uh, hi. Hey. It was like, that's it. Yeah, you that, think, that was my you think in your head, you have all this stuff to say. Uh, and then when the time comes, so. And yeah. it's interesting because a, a few years later, I lived in Hollywood and I, I walked into this building and his star was right there in front of my building. And I was like, I miss my. And he died. Yeah. And he died. Yeah. Why do people die? I don't know. You know what's funny? You mentioned that. While I generally, of course, I feel sad if like a celebrity dies. I mean, right, death right. is sad. But when a comedian dies, it almost makes me angry in the sense that they've devoted their whole lives to making people laugh and happiness. And then they go and do something like die. <laughs> like it's almost like it's like you just betrayed everything you're all about. I, mean, I know it sounds juvenile, but every time a comedian dies, especially if it's one I uh, respect or right. even know, it really affects me more than, you know, just a regular celebrity were to pass. Well, I mean, the other the other thing about this particular art is every year they come out with something brilliant. Mm. 
and you're never going to get that anymore. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a, such a, a, a catalog of work that right. is still so good. Right. You know, Bob Saget passed away sure. a couple years ago. First and guy I, I ever paid my own money to see as a comedian when I was 18. But, but everyone in Hollywood loved him. All the comics loved him. People don't know about Bob Saget. He's like the dirtiest comic yeah. among comedians. Yeah. And he had the full house. Yeah. And he was so and great. And America's Funniest Home Videos, too. Which is also G-rated. Sure. Well, it's funny. is like I said, so I saw I saw Bill Cosby. That's a whole other podcast episode right there. When I was seven. Okay. And again, when I was nine. But I saw Bob Saget. You know, I paid my own money. Took a date in high school, uh -huh. right? Tiny little comedy club in Canton called the Akron Canton Comedy Club. 100-seater. Sat in the front row. I mean, I know I talk fast. Saget. I mean, he's machine gun. Right. And I liked him so much. I took my parents the very next night. Uh Coincidentally, we got the same exact seats. Uh -huh. Flash forward years later, I win the Detroit Comedy Festival. In addition to the prize money, I get to do a half hour before Saget in front of like 3,000 people, wow. right? So I tell Bob Saget that story. He remembered the shoes I was wearing because he How? made fun of my shoes because I had, it was the, you know, <laughs> late 80s, I had these stupid <laughs> shoes with like a rope. They're made, a soul was made out of rope or something. You know, so uh, he goes, I remember that. You had those really weird shoes. I'm like, How do you, How do you remember that? And then uh, what was funny is, uh, I was only supposed to do 15 at the last minute. They said, you know, can you do 30? I'm like, of course, I'll do as much time as you want. So Bob Saget comes into my dressing room and he says, listen, my, my crowd sometimes has a tendency to arrive drunk and or high. <laughs> so he says, if you, if, you, if you lose them and you can't hold the stage, I can make up your time. And I looked him in the eye and I said, oh, I'll hold the stage. And I crushed it, right? <laughs> 3,000 people. I mean, how no, many chances I'm do you get? I'm not leaving. I'm not going to take a dive. <laughs> So they didn't have an announcer bring him on. They let me bring him on. Wow. And I got to tell the story of how he was the first guy I ever paid to see. And I brought him on. He comes out with his guitar, gives me a hug. And he, he whispers in my ear, goes, thank you for making my job so much easier. Oh, what a I, and that was, that was it. And then, like I said, he passed, uh, you know, five or six years later. I was pretty sad about that. Yeah. Lu Lu we didn't introduce you. Oh, that's okay. Lou Santini. Now, you're a comedian. Comedian, 26 years and counting. That's a that's a hell of a resume, <laughs> and is that twenty six years primarily like every week going out? 26 oh yeah, six years. Yeah, I mean twenty four of those years was in uh, Los Angeles. I mean you and I had that in common. So that's amazing. Yeah, because you know a lot of comedians, including me, like yeah, we've been doing it twenty years. Yeah, but there was five years where I didn't do it. Yeah, so or they go up once every five six months. Yeah, and it's hardly counts because you can tell, well, we can tell sure. if someone's seasoned or not within about ten seconds. Oh, of course. And, and some people, there's so many open mics, which I think is great, by the way. Yeah. Current Currently, as we record this, there's four or five open mic places in LA. Yeah. There's always time to get your, your reps in, e even in other parts. But back in the 2000s and 1990, there was not open Comedy mics. Comedy clubs and that's it. If you didn't have an in and book or so, so that was my challenge in, the, in 2005, was trying to find stage time to get better mm -hmm. and to find my voice. Mm -hmm. You did that 10 years earlier, right? Yeah, yeah I started, uh, well, I said my, my bread and butter started in radio for 11 years in Northeast Ohio. That was full time, six days a week. and while I wasn't doing, for lack of a better word, pure stand-up comedy, when you're in radio, you do a lot of personal appearances, yep. a lot of heavy metal clubs, a lot of bars, <laughs> a lot of lounges, a lot of ribbon cuttings, the new Burger King opened, you know, whatever. And, you know, you get a chance to, I, I really realized some things that were funny in person didn't necessarily translate to radio. Like I'd say something funny at a personal appearance and I'm thinking, I got to use that because I get a laugh, go do it on the radio. I'm like, I mean, that didn't work because you don't have that immediate feedback right, that right, you right. don't see the audience clap or laugh or whatever and other times i'd say something funny on the radio someone would call in that was hilarious i'm thinking i'm going to use that in the personal appearance and then you do it live you're like 
oh, it only worked because it was on the radio. So I really learned that in terms of timing. So while I said funny things at personal appearances, once I got out of radio, I was able to fully concentrate on that. And I moved from uh, Northeast Ohio, Cleveland to Los Angeles. So I started there in 97. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I don't know if you know, I wrote books on handwriting analysis when I was 22, 23 years old. Wow. And I started doing like uh, Jay Thomas 106, my first big, big radio show. Oh, sure, remember sure. Remember that guy? Yo, absolutely. Cheers. Like, yeah. He was a professional. Yeah. He actually taught me, he goes, here's what I do. I stand the entire six hours in the morning. I never sit down because your energy's better. Right. And yeah, so, and, I always stood when I was on the radio. But I, I, that was a great tip. I was like yep. 19 years old, right? So every interview I did from home with my headset, I would just pace around the room. And yeah. I would have this great energy. And then I, they got back and back. So I did, I don't know if you know this, I did 1,500 interviews. Oh, wow. Promoting books and stuff. So I got really good on radio, sure. which is what you did. Yeah. And then I thought, well, this will translate easily to stand up. It did not. No, I said, I, I've interviewed over 300 <laughs> rock stars, musicians, other celebrities. And right. they get, now this will be great. I could be in an interview. I've been interviewed a million times, yep. working the road. And But you're right. You would think, oh, this will work. It doesn't. The one-on-one -on -one and asking someone questions is not the same as doing pure stand-up. Yeah, and, and when you're on one-on-one -on -one radio or if you're hosting your own show, you have no feedback. Sure. So you just have to guess. Yeah. And what I realized that I was doing, which is the reason I went back to Howard Stern twice and all the big morning shows, is I had figured out what jokes kind of work regularly. And I got, because if you're with a radio show like Bubba the Love Sponge, there's six or seven people mm -hmm. in the room and yeah, they all laugh. You can bounce things off. Oh, and it's so easy. And you're like, okay, that worked there. Sure. So if I'm doing that in Ohio, I know this is going to work. Yep. And it did. I yeah. mean, I got back over and over. That. And so that's what gave me this confidence of like, oh, I've always been doing comedy since I was 19, but I didn't start stand up until I was 33. You're doing you're, you're doing handwriting analysis at what age? 19. Well, I, was, I mean, by the time I got my first radio show, I was 19. Okay, I just I just picture you like forging your parents' signatures on like report cards and things like my, when you were a kid. Like, my, oh, I got this dialed in. My father goes, "Listen, man, I'm really busy. I travel a lot. If you just sign my is name, that right? This was like this is like fifth grade. If you just sign my name that you went to the doctor, <laughs> I will never have to bother because they'll just have that one signature. Wow. So I remember thinking like, how did I sign it last time? So it was left, right, it was right. Like it had to be obvious. How do you even know you have that? I mean, how do you, how, you know what I'm really good at? How do you know? Well, I, I didn't, I, I'm not a professional forger. Let, let's no, go I back on the story. You're not the guy from uh, Catch fifth, Me If You Can, that guy? At fifth grade, I was a really good forger. Um, <laughs> I actually saw that guy speak. He's like FBI, yeah, super, yeah. super interesting guy. Uh, no, I took classes at 14 and 15. Wow. My father took classes and I became sort of the handwriting guy. So all my friends like, oh, do that trick, do that trick, you do handwriting. So I didn't know if it was authentic, it was bullshit, I wasn't sure. But as I got older, I realized, well, there's a little science behind this and there's some people great at it some people not great at it and i began to get excellent at it but what it did for me personally was made me popular mm. and, and 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 i wasn't necessarily good looking i was kind of funny so i would do the handwriting and all of a sudden women would just show up and hang out with me oh so you're you were a comedian you're not necessarily popular weren't good looking but the women liked you because you were funny you're yeah. saying that we use comedy to meet women yeah maybe that might be the case <laughs> well, i mean i talk about that in my act but i want a guy who's funny i want a sense of humor and then they go on to have sex with the captain of the football team oh. when you're in high school <laughs> it's like yeah you, you went over to the same you, high school yeah you know we're, we're the warm-up act for, for the guy who gets laid you know we, we, they come hang out with us they the, drink and then they go to we're the comedy house. fluffer for the guy who actually gets to close that's exactly what that is <laughs> we don't get this we, we I, I, hey story of my life until once you got into radio though then it became you know well, I, was a, I was a celebrity and, and people yeah. before the internet they don't understand like you you were either on radio, TV, or newspaper. Mm -hmm. And if you were in those, you were a celebrity. Sure. From like the 80s up until basically 
2001, in 2000-ish when the internet became pretty popular. Right. And then all of a sudden people had their own channels, which I actually like it now. The fact that we're doing the Bart, the Bart Show, the fact that I can produce this, that I can do the show I wanted to do, I spent years going into the networks pitching a show. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what, you're not really there. And okay, we like you. And Comedy Central's like, you know, you're not really there. So there's always gatekeepers. Oh yeah, I know. Hollywood's job is to say no. I, I really feel like, because I'm, I'm currently pitching two game shows plus a movie script, right? Okay. And I feel like a lot of Hollywood is, like you said, the gatekeeper. Like, well, if I say yes to everything, then I'm not, any, any chimp can just say yes. So right. I have to say no, even if I like the idea. And then, then that eventually, when someone else nibbles at it, then the people that said no, oh wait, we'll bring that back. Maybe we want to see that again. Yeah, the first show I pitched was uh, probably 2003, and I'm sitting in the the head office of ABC, and um, this wonderful woman, and I, I, her name is Casey at the moment, but she goes, look, I got to tell you, Bart, I said no to Survivor, twice. And she goes, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm doing the best I can, <laughs> wow. but but we just don't know what's going to be a hit. That's honesty. And whatever show you're pitching, like, I may say no to you, but I could be wrong. And I thought that was such an honest sort of that assessment is. of like, look, I know I'm in charge of this network and we, you know, it's not really a fit for us now. And so I pitched a lot of shows that never did. And that's what I love about today is the audience is going to find you with no gatekeeper. Yeah. So this show may be terrible, but some people may love it and it could blow up, but I don't have a gatekeeper. Yeah, well, you're, like I said, as a podcaster myself and as a comedian, what I like about comedy, if you're a control freak like I am, you're the writer, producer, editor, <laughs> choreographer, performer. And when, when it goes well, hey, it's all me. When it goes bad, and that audience was terrible. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, when it goes bad, I, I, I make a joke. You still can take that responsibility. I tell a lot of new comedians, the highest high from the best show you ever had and the lowest low from the worst show you ever had are not really representative of who you are. What you want to aim for is consistency. You know what I mean? Uh, so like if you if you book Bart on 10 shows, my uh, scoring system, for lack of a better word, is seven out of 10 times I'm going to kill, two out of 10 times I'm going to have a solid set, and one out of 10, like any human, you're going to tank. I mean, I, you lived in LA. I mean, I watched Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld tank. They're trying out new stuff. I mean, right. it happens. Yeah, know? it happens. I watched Russell Brand doing it about two hours uh, before his, his big special. This is like 10 years ago before he grew the Messiah Complex thing. Okay. And I, and I really liked his comedy, and most of it was open mic stuff. Mm. I don't know that he can go to open mics, but what he did was he goes, I got a big mailing list. I'll just mail it out. And he had 200 fans, very tolerant of him writing notes, talking to a computer, and he was doing hard stuff. Like, I like doing religious things. I like making fun of hard topics. I, I like taking on those challenges, but they're harder to write because you're basically offending people's core beliefs. Someone's going to be... Well, seven, you're, you're it used to be split. 77. Now it's only 67% of America are Christians. Okay. So if you make any joke, like I have a, I have a, a Jesus of Nazareth sort of thing, uh, CSI Nazareth, which which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Already I can see where this joke's, the bit's going, but yes. Right, but, but if you really love Jesus, 67% are already on edge, like, don't don't offend me. Yeah. So you've got to navigate it very carefully. He I hear did that. so well, uh, and let me finish the story, yeah. is that he, of that hour and a half or two hours, only like seven minutes ended up in the special. Yeah. And what it taught me was, oh, this is hard. Yeah. You're going to go through a lot of material that just isn't great. And then what's great ends up on the special. Yeah. What, what comedian was it said? It's like, yeah, a diamond is made, you know, you mine it from the earth. It, it's not ready for a ring coming out of the earth. You have to chip away as much as you can while still maintaining the integrity of the diamond for something you can sell that you can use that is pretty. And said, you have, you, you write 10 minutes of material so you can fight, ah, there's the 60 seconds that is just, mm, That's right so there. frustrating. It, right it's there. sort of like the, the day 
save it. It's it, the sculpture's yes. there, but you got to keep taking it away. Yeah, I think they took a little bit too off the wiener. I've, I've seen that statue, but you know, I find still, him attractive. Yeah. You think he's a little uh, unhung for you? I just remember when I go into Italy thinking, man, that statue's huge. Why does the penis seem so way out of proportion for the rest of the statue? I mean, all things being equal, right? His hands were his huge. His hands head was are the huge. size of like right. Uh, he's got this little, you know, little, little nub. It's like a clitoris on there, practically. So, but nonetheless, <laughs> can we say clitoris? It's a medical term. I hope you're enjoying this special presentation of Amateur Nation. Don't forget, every Thursday is Sneak Peek Thursday, giving you a 60-second video trailer of what's coming on the next episode when you follow me on Instagram, Truth Social, and or Facebook. And I bonus tease you throughout the week with plenty of audiograms for next week's topics. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, at Lou Santini, and visit my main website, lousantini.com. The second half of my interview on The Bart Show is coming right back. There's been an odd shift in human behavior over the last 15 plus years. A sense of entitlement. A constant need for attention. Ironically coupled with the need to be left alone. A desire to be treated the same as everyone else. Stupidly combined with the mindset of, I'm special, so treat me accordingly. Introducing the book, Amateur Nation. The Decline of Common Sense, Manners, and Social Skills. The second edition. Inside, you'll read the Amateur Mission Statement. The 30 truths about amateurs, the four stages of being an amateur, amateur habitats and history, social media plus me, me, me equals amateur, technology and amateur behavior, with dozens of real funny photos, weird signs, and laugh out loud real life accounts and actual conversations vividly showing how us pros are surrounded by amateur nation every day. Download the expanded second edition of the ebook Amateur Nation, the decline of common sense manners and social skills. The second expanded edition of Available now. Be a pro. Go to Amazon. Type Amateur Nation. The Honor and Remember flag is a nationally recognized symbol that sends a message of appreciation for the sacrifice made by our fallen heroes and their families. The flag flies at many NASCAR races around the country, and you can help honor our nation's fallen military members and remember the eternal sacrifice of their service by flying the flag too. Text FLAG to 71777 or visit honorandremember.org to learn more. Together, we remember them all. We now continue with this special presentation of Amateur Nation as we pick up with the second half of my interview at Freedom Fest in Memphis, Tennessee earlier this year as I appeared on The Bart Show. Enjoy. Going back to what you said, though, about <laughs> going back to what you said, though, you uh, cut up the staff. Yeah. Now. Well, is, going back is, to what you what said what about your, your Jesus laughing. of Nazareth, you said people get edgy. Yeah. That's I'll be talking about that when I do the uh, when I do the uh, panel about uh, comedy and censorship. People, not all people, but a lot of people, as I call them in my book and my podcast, amateurs, they hear Jesus. Oh, what? It's like, what? Well, let me finish yet. Wait till you hear what the story's about first. I'm probably on your side. And even if I said something that offended you, okay, move on with your life. It, does it change your beliefs? It, 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 if it makes you question something, well, then chances are maybe it was something you didn't want to hear. Maybe you should be considering that. But I'm not, I mean, you said you'd like to tackle the tougher subjects. Yeah. I do that to a point. But my whole, th you know, I've had people like, I didn't like that joke. I have a joke about my mom smacking me when I was a kid. Yeah, you know, I'm an Italian, right? Right. I mean, I wasn't abused. I wasn't beaten. But I talk about in this one particular bit how, like, do you ever get that once in a lifetime beating? It's particularly from your mom <laughs> where she just loses her mind. You remember where you were, how old you were, yeah. what you did. You probably deserved it. And you can laugh about it now. 
99% of the time, people are like, oh, that's my mom right there. I remember Hilarious. that instead of a book that she threw at you, it was a shoe or a hairbrush or whatever, and you laugh about it. And I had some woman come up to me and she goes, I was abused my whole life and that hurt my feelings. You know, I was like, look, I feel bad about that, but you didn't, you didn't listen to the, to the bit. I, I even <laughs> said at the beginning, and I don't do disclaimers in my act, but I was like, let me be clear. I wasn't beaten every day. My mom and I are very close. I've written a couple books about her, but I think people have a knee-jerk reaction to words now, now yeah. without listening to the building blocks of comedy, context, writing, timing, and the audience itself, the venue, the avenue which you're watching it. So I had this a theory, and it's not a comic bit, but but there's this, uh, you know people that are super allergic. Like I have a friend with two super allergic kids. Yes. Nuts, milk, yeah. like they can't even be in the house because yeah. they're allergic. The boy in the bubble. Yeah, and so, <laughs> so I get like these kids came out of the womb allergic. Right. Seems like a lot of people feel like it's their right to be allergic to your words. Yeah. Therefore, instead of making a bubble, you should shut up. Yeah, that's their, that, well, that's their identity. Their identity now is, is things that oppress them, victimhood, their anxiety. This is why I literally just, I gave up on dating women in Los Angeles. That should piss off all the women in Los Angeles now. But they're but, just disappointed. But they're, they're, yeah, they're really sad. <laughs> maybe I'm the common denominator. But nonetheless, <laughs> I mean, I dated all races, shapes, and sizes and ages when I lived in LA. Some successful, some not. Obviously, not all of them, because I'd still be dating them, and I moved out of LA. But... I would eliminate some of these women right out of the gate because on the first date, they'd be talking about their anxiety and their allergies and their problems and things they had a problem with. Um, it's like, but this is our foundation now, you know? You're a victim and we have to you're change a victim the world around and I you. have to handle you with kid gloves now. It's like, you're dating a comedian. You said you wanted someone funny. It's like comedians are very much get the joke out, deal with the forgiveness later. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> well, they get to always have that talk, especially women who've never dated a comedian. Like, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to say shit. Yeah. And I'm not going to mean it. Yeah. And you may or may not be offended by it. And then you have to process this. The, 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 big, the best example I always give uh, a lot of new comics is the old standard uh, a man's watching TV. Here comes his wife or girlfriend. Honey, does my butt look big in these jeans? The civilian of course, is going to smooth things over. No, what? No, honey, you look perfect. You're yep. beautiful. Just, but a comedian's like, he's got 10 smart ass answers right out of the <laughs> and gate. All of them hurt her feelings. All, all of them hurt her feelings, but he knows, like, she'll get over this. I, I, if I don't get this joke out, I won't sleep. Yeah. Right? I was like, I have to, I'm like, come on. Come she's just, yeah, she's tossing me this lob. If I don't spike it, I'm not going to, you know. And then we'll deal with the consequences later, knowing that I love my girlfriend or wife. She'll, she loves me. She knows I don't mean anything by it. That's the difference between a comedian mindset and a civilian mindset. So ladies, if this is what you're up against. Or the men, if they were dating the women too. Um, I use that in, in one of my jokes. I'm like, and then I said, you know, honey, it's not the jeans that make you look fat. Sure. And the, the girl's like, Ooh. I know. And I want that because the, the setup is later. But right. it's so funny because even though I'm obviously on stage, obviously saying this is an asshole thing I'm going to say, they still offended. I know. And it's not even them. Yeah. It's me with this other fictional person. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who you're not even dating anymore, right? It, it, every male comedian, when they're talking about their wife or girlfriend, she always talks like this, and she's a nag. And, and right. every female comedian, oh, their husband or boyfriend, they're so stupid. Right? It, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's like, I can give as well as I can take, or vice versa. It's like, I'm okay with that. I've resigned myself to that part of my life as a comedian. I don't mind the stereotypes. It's fun. Speaking of girlfriends you dated, you told me a funny story before we got on here. Apparently, you dated my girlfriend. Yeah, but I didn't. But I thought, but apparently, 
the whole world thinks you dated my girlfriend. The whole world. Well, apparently, wow. and Jerry Springer. So this is such a great story that I just is completely deleted. She's like, yeah, we haven't seen each other in a while. And it's like, didn't I go on a date with your girlfriend? I'm like, who? She said that? You oh, said, I that. said that. Oh, yeah. So before the show. Yes. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was on a dating game this is show. A, this is an ex-girlfriend a long time oh, ago. Oh, it's got to be, it's got to be well over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Around there. Uh, it was hosted by Jerry Springer. And what's funny is I was a contestant on this dating show. I think the, the concept of the show was... Uh, the female contestants would have to uh, siphon, uh, uh, go through the three male contestants to determine. Uh, the show was called Baggage. That's what it was called. It was called, called Baggage. baggage. That's then, what it was. And then you get two bags and they send you somewhere. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, you know, you, you, you tell uh, one truth and two lies, and then yeah. the female contestant could determine out of the three men which is the most tolerable for their baggage. Oh, well, Max Orphan could definitely tell a liar. That's, <laughs> that, that was a good skill. I've, so, I've tested that. And yeah, I always so, lost. so what's funny is, I mean, we didn't make it. What's funny, I remember being contested on that show. And I, of course, I can't, it's hard to not be funny when you're dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I remember from the booth, you could hear the director like, Lou, that was great, but you, you got to dial down the funny. And Jerry Springer looks at me and goes, yeah, come on, man, I'm the host. And I remember I told him, I said, well, step aside, chief. And he laughed. <laughs> And then, so uh, your ex-girlfriend and I, we 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 spoke. We got paid to go on a date, which we, which so, we never so went on. In fairness, on. she's like, "Hey, I have this opportunity to go on this show. Right? We're dating. Well, should I do that? I'm like, you're living in Hollywood. You should totally do it. Yeah, exposure. Why not? Easy money. I don't know if he's single. Nobody matter. You don't yeah. have to go on the date. They'll send yeah. you money. They gave us money, and we never actually went on the date. But then we started communicating via, I think, well, MySpace back then. I or think, text maybe. message. Yeah, so, yeah. Some, Or her burner phone. Yeah, yeah. Because that woman had a burner phone. <laughs> what? She had the first burner phone ever. <laughs> yeah. The prototype of burner phones. So then, uh, so we just we never got paid. It took like 12 months to get like less than a thousand dollars. I said, "Did you get paid yet?" She goes, "No, I'll let you know." But then we needed a woman on our softball team. Okay. And that's when I said, you want to be on our softball team? Which, there you go. That's Then all of a sudden, we're in bed now. <laughs> we take that giant leap from a game show to softball to intercourse. That's how the Los Angeles dating timeline works. But but it's weird. I've had so many people go on game shows. Now, have you met Jerry Springer before that show? No. No. Fellow Ohioan, too. Um, he, he, was, he, he passed away in the right. last couple of years. And I was on Good Morning Texas. And it was September 12th, 2001. The day after 9-11. Oh, wow. And, and whatever, like everyone's super serious, sure. whatever. And I've never met him before. And we're in the green room getting makeup on. And um, he was just delightful. Tall guy, and, too, and right? Was tall, he taller than you? Funny. I like, I just remember politician, whatever. Yeah. I mean, this guy was joke, joke, right? joke in the green room. And finally, he turns to me and uh, they're showing the buildings fall on 9 11. And he goes, I'm just going to say, both buildings fell? But they got both of them? Really? As if he never watched the news. And he goes, You think it's too soon? It's too soon, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he was, you know, it's so tense because it's, sure. and he just cut it with a knife and I was like, this guy's a genius. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up. I had to do a show at the Ha Ha Comedy Club in, in yeah, North Hollywood the day after 9-11. Oh, no. And I remember thinking, I'm just waiting for my phone to blow up like, hey, show's canceled or whatever. And they didn't. And uh, honestly, doing comedy 26 years, it was one of the most memorable uh, touching shows of my life because uh, we, we got there and you know most comedy clubs music's playing keep the energy up and you could just tell everyone felt like why are we doing this but no one wanted to go home either right they didn't want to go home maybe, maybe a dozen people in the audience on a Friday night when it was packed mm -hmm. and uh, I remember I was actually hosting that show as opposed to doing a regular set and uh, the comedians were backstage pacing like tigers like 
everything I say is going to be offensive. I have no reason. <laughs> I have no right to be here. How dare I be How here? How dare I be happy? Be today. happy. You we know what I mean? You're supposed to be miserable. So I remember I came out on stage and there was a guy who came to the show by himself. Uh, he had a military uh, Vietnam hat on and uh, you know maybe his, his uh, shirt or jacket or something. And I came out there and I said, all right, folks, let's just get one thing straight here. The comedians backstage are nervous as hell to perform and we know you're tense. So I can assure you there will be no jokes about the tragedy that befell us. But let's make a deal. We promise to make you forget about everything that happened yesterday for an hour and a half. And you promise just to forget about your troubles for a little bit. And, and we'll work on it. I mean, everyone at the same time, you could tell went, okay. <laughs> and I remember every comedian destroyed. And even the ones who were less experienced. Yeah. And we got the standing ovation. Look at those goosebumps. Standing wow. ovation. And that military guy stuff was crying. Man, I, there was not a dry in the house. It was just a beautiful, beautiful night of comedy. And that's one of those life-affirming like this. This is why you do comedy right there. Because you're releasing tension. You're taking people away from yeah. their troubles. That's the perfect example right. of, of the best scenario. Yeah. Um, my brother, who, who has no respect for the arts or comedy, is like, well, you're the clown of the family. Sure. I was like, it is an art. Yeah. I do how many years, like Lou, like this is yeah. such an art, but there's no respect for it right. because he's never seen that moment of like, right. you're gonna act, you're gonna take people and transport them away to somewhere yeah. else. Do you have that type of moment working in your cubicle? Probably not. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying other jobs aren't important as well, but I mean seriously, it's like you know, it's like those are those life affirming moments. Like, I'm not gonna say it makes up for the lousy money, but it's it's right there. I mean, it really does. I have that now the rest of my life. Well, the thing about the money is you, you do it for 10 or 15 years and you barely make a living mm -hmm. if you struggle. Sure. And then finally you hit something and now you're kind of on easy street. Was it like that for you? Was there a jump when you're like, wow, yeah. I'm making a living now? Yeah, as I, was, I was in radio 11 years and I was struggling uh, for the first like five, six, seven out of 11 years in radio, wow. keeping the lights on. But I was also working 80 hours a week. Yeah. I had a side business, you know, DJing weddings and corporate functions. All my side hustles were always things that involved entertainment, writing on camera, on stage, sure. something like that. I wanted to keep, even if I had to have three or four jobs, keep them in the entertainment business. That's smart. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get called up to the majors at the, the number one radio station in Cleveland and uh, one of the most prolific stations in the United States, WMMS. And you know, here I am now. I'm covering the ribbon cutting of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was actually in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame cool. as an exhibit for a while. You know, and then all of a sudden you go from being ass deep in debt to like liquid like that. <laughs> you know, it's like ah, you this know, is what it's like. That's, yeah. what, that, that's what it's like. Ten years of hard work. Sure. Now you're. I mean, yeah. you're not rich. You're just, no, you're, you're not all rich. Of a sudden, like, but you're making your living in entertainment. And when I started, and that felt good. It feels good. And when you're in entertainment in uh, Los Angeles, I mean, yeah, I I painted storefronts on car dealerships yep. and drugstores, and uh, you know, hustled like crazy. And uh, you know, I had an office job until then. All of a sudden, two thousand three, four, it's like all entertainment. That is impressive. Can I look at your handwriting? Go ahead if you can read it. It is messy, but it's it's actually a, a, it reminds me. You know, I've I've done like I said almost. 15, 1600 radio shows and all the best radio hosts write like you. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So this fluid, see this kind of your Y's and G's kind of curve in there. Uh -huh. That is all fluidity of thinking. So you have L and Lou. Can I get that in writing from my girlfriend? The fluidity and thinking? Very please? fluid. Okay, good. Very fluid. What it means is it means you go from one topic to the next very smoothly. Mm. And what I, I, I'm then the only one that would have this perspective because I've, I've interviewed so many radio professionals is they have the ability to weave words say something and come back five minutes later and finish that thought. 
Yeah. And that's a writer's ability, but some <laughs> writers can't talk. My girlfriend calls it rambling, but go ahead. It's rambling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's rambling. But you're a rambler and that's just, you're in the perfect position for yourself. I mean, you could kill go back to radio for that. Really? Also persistence, which is a sign of self-made millionaires, which is great. Uh, domineering, which can be a little bit uh, petty if you want to take control. Someone hit the ding on that. Ding. Nailed it. Domineering. Yeah. Okay. Um, pride, which I think is always a wonderful quality because it means that you care about your work and status is important. So you worked for a long time with no money, but you were getting status. Right. I did the same thing in my twenties and I, and I was broke most of it, but I was kind of famous. So I was like, I would like some money in addition to this notoriety. I tell a lot of new comedians when you're not making money, your reputation's all you have. So protect it. Well, and it's important, but it's also a driver. So what I did in my thirties, I went, I want to, I still want the recognition, but I also would like to have some business. I want some money. Sure. And so I sort of adjusted my values. It's still recognition is important, but making a difference, yeah. being creative, make a all, all that's there. Yeah. No, you're a very well-balanced person. You, you really are a fast talker. You almost like New York fast talker. I get that a lot. I, people think I'm from New York. So, so the M's and N's are how fast you are. And generally what that means is people who drive slow in the fast lane, you'd like to shoot them. Were you following me here? Or like, <laughs> I, I told my girlfriend I want a, a hood-mounted machine gun for my for my car. But they do. Yeah. Have you been on a cruise ship ever? Yes. Why do they walk like this and just you cannot get to your gig? You can't get to the buffet and they'll go left and then you'll go around them and walking to your show. This happened three times. The same woman twice. I even went around her at a different part and then I'm like, she's back. Can't you just shoot them? I think it's still illegal. I mean, I believe there's a gun vendor at the show. <laughs> It would probably be okay. As with I talk that. about my act, that's so much as like a taser or like what, a, a silencer, just, just kind of like a soprano. I mean, I think an know. elephant gun, but taser is probably yeah, better. Yeah. But don't you get like, because here's why you think fast, you've already finished the thought, and they're still slow. I get mad at my computer. I'm like, I hit the button, do it. You know, it's like <laughs> shift tab or, you know, open this file now. You have now. one job. You're a button. You have one job. Oh my job. God, dude. I, I, I want to <laughs> hug you right now. It's like, I say those exact words. I, I tell my girlfriend, I fully believe that inanimate objects are like public enemy number one. It's like, you have one job. Do it. You know, toast the toast. <laughs> Microwave the bagel. Whatever it is you're doing. Oh my God. So you gave me a t-shirt. I did. Way. So first of all, you got my color. I just, I don't always wear this. I have like five of these shirts because yeah. it makes my eyes look really pretty. You I want to say that. something, yes. No, it's not gay. Just, no. It's a beautiful. I, I, you're it's a pretty man. It's a pretty So this is uh, no, no amateurs. amateurs. Yep. Ooh, I kind of like that. What's the meaning behind that? Uh, amateurs, uh, my Drybar comedy special is called Amateur Nation. Okay. My book on Amazon is called Amateur Nation, The Decline of Common Sense Manners and Social Skills. Nice. And my podcast is called Amateur Nation. Amateurs are people who are doing life wrong. Uh, like the speed that. bumps in your life, the people that are in your way every day. And uh, you know, I talk about it in my intro, the unintelligent victim types. Uh -huh. uh, you know, all these people, like, just enough of you. All the people we make fun of. The people we've been talking about on the show today. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. People I make fun of them, my act. So yes, so my shirts, you can get them on my website. They're, I'm running out of them, but yeah, no amateurs. Uh, so, so you have Lou Santini Entertainment on Facebook, YouTube, Lou Santini. It's yep. so easy to go. Yep. And then you have this unfortunate- uh, Lou dot Santini, three. Lou dot, so there's a-, there's a Well, cause there's I've two been, other Lou Santini's. No, I got, I got my account censored twice by Instagram. They shut it down. I have oh, five, 10,000, you know- So you had to uh, start followers. over. Started over twice, <laughs> twice. <laughs> So you can follow you. And uh, is there a show coming out? Where can they see me over your comedy? Uh, Just lucentini.com? Lucentini.com, my dry bar special, drybarcomedy.com slash L-O-U-S. And I'll actually, uh, you know, my calendar is on there. How fun. How fun. I haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward I to it. I appreciate it. Yeah, this will be great. When this podcast drops, we'll promote it back and forth. And I'll hang out with you in LA, I hope. Can't wait. We, we can share some more girlfriends. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I owe you one, girlfriend. So, <laughs> though already I'm behind. So, Lou Centini, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Well, I hope you had some laughs listening to this special presentation of Amateur Nation 250 episodes and counting. We return to our regular format show next Sunday. Watch me go after amateurs on my Drybar special, drybarcomedy.com slash L-O-U-S. Copy and paste the link from whatever platform you listen on and send it to a fellow pro or an amateur that is doing life wrong. And please, leave a review. Amateur Nation is not just a podcast, it's a movement. Remember, amateurs, we see you. You're not at home. Don't do life wrong. Go pro. Don't be an amateur. For Amateur Nation, I'm Lou Santini, and this has been a Big Major production. Mm-hmm.